Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. And now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Brooks Young. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. Yeah. 
Brooks on the line. Hey, Brooks, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Now, this is your first time on our show. We always like to start things off by giving our fans an opportunity to get to know who you are. And the best way to do that 
is through your journey, how you got to where you are today. So give us a story of Brooks Young. Sure, yeah. So um, the the short version is uh, back in 2001, I was invited to see B.B. Uh, King perform, and that date got rained out to a date that ended up being on September 11th, the day the towers were hit. Um, we'd go to the show, and then I was kind of tugged on my shirt saying someone wanted to meet me. And uh, they heard that I played guitar, and I was getting my start out playing uh, blues music and going to different clubs, sitting in. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm standing outside of this big tour bus, and there's this little old man outside of it wiping it down, and he looks at me because he had it all clean, and he says, don't touch the bus. <laughs> and I said, well, this is, this is a serious, uh, serious bus here. So I walk onto the bus, and I look all the way down, and there he is, Mr. B.B. King. And uh, just me and B.B. King and uh, his son, who was managing him, helping him out at the time, because his whole um, arrangement, you know, a lot of his family took care of B.B., um, was B.B. King. There I was on B.B. King's bus on September 11th, in the back, sitting there on the couch with him, and I remember shaking his hand, and B.B. Uh, had massive hands. I just remember my hand just kind of disappeared in his. And um, we were eating famous Amos cookies and drinking Diet Coke, chatting, and uh, the TV was on on the bus at the on the back, just kind of of the day's events, what happened with the towers being hit. And uh, I became friends with B.B. from that day on. And uh, I remember one day I received an email from his uh, agency, William Morris Agency, uh, back when, you know, he was around, saying that B.B. wanted me to open up for him. So I uh, started opening up for B.B. King, did that for many years, became close friends with him. And uh, that opened the doors for all kinds of things. I started performing on stage and opening for a lot of people like Pat Benatar, Huey Lewis in the news, um, Los Lobos. I just played with Los Lobos, uh, just last week. Um, yeah. So I, uh, that was kind of my start. I, uh, I got into music you know, my grandfather was a guitarist and had played country music and that kind of gave me the bug to play. And he taught me for a bit. And, um, in high school, I kind of got into playing guitar and wanted to, to be a blues musician. Eric Clapton was a huge influence of mine. And uh, I actually recently, during COVID, recorded a song with Ruth Clapton, Eric's daughter. We uh, redid his song, Promises. And um, it was always a huge a huge uh, thing for me. I wanted to be that, that next Eric Clapton and B.B. King. And um, so I've always just kind of had the mindset and kind of ran with it, and I'm still going. Okay. Well, you know, I've met B.B. myself a few times, and he was always extremely generous with his time and, and he, you know, just being the, he, who he was, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he sure, you know, he really was. And I remember many nights hanging out with B.B. after the shows we'd play and, um, he was just always very generous. And I remember a couple of times we'd play shows and stay at the same hotels, you know, and, uh, or I remember one morning waking up and we had breakfast down at the hotel. And, uh, before he left, he goes, ah, I have something for you. And he had, um, his son run out to the bus and, you know, he gave me this nice momentum of him that he had. And, um, 
and it was just it was really interesting like being part of those shows with him and, and watching him you know i would have dvds in my room watching him before i started this journey and uh it was a very surreal moment when i first walked into that uh first venue opening up with him and seeing bb sitting there with you know he always had was always dressed well and he always had he was known for his very nice uh suit jackets that he had and i remember him telling me oh you can put your coat next to mine and i would put my guitar sitting right next to lucio backstage and uh you know that's a moment when i knew that you know i was on to something and um i'll always remember that first moment of meeting him and all the moments after that okay well let's talk about this new release um if you would have kind of run into someone that in the street and you were going to have to explain to them what this is about or what you know give them kind of the elevator pitch on this new release what would you tell them sure yeah so supply chain blues my new album obviously it's a blues album and uh prior to that i always recorded kind of like pop rock stuff but my background was always blues and i had this idea to record a blues album and kind of pay respect to some of my favorite guitar blues players as well as put a couple of my original songs on there and uh that being supply chain blues and the track dream away and it's something i've always wanted to do i never got to really showcase some of my blues playing and my blues guitar work and i went into the studio up at mojo studio right in the uh, white mountains in new hampshire and i said you know what guys we're gonna make a blues album it's always been a dream a goal of mine and uh we did it and i think it's some of my my best work and uh obviously it being at the on the top of the uh charts right now for blues and rock and it has been for the past few weeks um and the amount of streams that it's receiving on your spotify and apple music it's, it's definitely uh it's it's showing its worth okay now um Let's talk about you as a songwriter, because, you know, we have to start any good project with good songs. Uh, when you sit down to begin that process, how do you tap into your muse? Oh, geez. You know, it's different each time. You know, uh, I'll have a little guitar riff or I'll have the lyrics down. Um, for instance, uh, the title track, Supply Chain Blues, on the album there, um, I wrote, you know, we had the lyrics already and I was trying to come up with like the the feel the vibe for it you know supply chain you know and it you know had to have a certain vibe to it and for some reason i kept kind of channeling like this jj kale kind of vibe and uh i kind of went with this jj kale slash you know crossroads kind of vibe with it and um you know i i don't have a set way when i write my songs my original stuff i uh just kind of let what comes to me first be kind of the the opening pitch and i'll either you know record the idea down or jot it down on paper um i've never had a a set way of of, of writing um every time i i try to do that i end up getting in a jam and nothing gets accomplished so i've learned with myself my own way is just to kind of let it naturally happen um, there'll be days where I'm just driving or at home and I feel, whoop, I feel something I got to sit right now is a time I got to write something. And then there'll be lots of days where it's just not even something I even want to think about. Uh, you know, so I, I just kind of let it happen on its own. 
Okay. Now, you know, I'm always fascinated about melody as opposed to lyric. You know, lyrics are a craft. You know, the more you do it, the better you get at it. But melody's a little different. Um, some songwriters like to work off of just a groove and just get that rhythmic thing going and allow the melody to free form. Others take lyric and and kind of allow the cadence of the words to kind of dictate where the melody should go. When you search yeah. for your melodic ideas, what's kind of your go-to when you start looking for it? Uh, usually, you know, like you said, it's usually the lyric for me. Um, I'm always a lyric before the melodic part. So, you know, I always try to see, okay, well, what, what did I come up with here lyric-wise? Like, what am I? What am I trying to say? Is there something in this lyric, the way that I sing it, or the way I'm hearing it in my head, that I could take a melodic riff, or say like the main riff, you know, hook riff, um, out of the lyric idea? Um, you know, like um, my my song "Dream Away" has like you know a very catchy you know every day I dream away. I'm like, well, how would I sing that? Like, how would I say every day I dream away? And you just listen to it, and you can just you can hear the melodic line. It's right there within the word sometimes. Um, and then there's other times I'll sit down. You know, I'm not much of a piano player. Obviously, I'm known for my guitar work, but I'll sit down at the piano and I'll just kind of try to come up with a few melodic riffs to put put in songs. Um, but yeah, for me, it's 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 seeing if there's some type of melodic idea within the lyrics, singing them naturally first for me. Okay. Now, you know, uh, songwriters have really embraced a lot of the technology today, whether it's a cell phone to capture ideas or a home recording studio to kind of um, lay out a structure and then write to that. What are some of the tools you have found that become indispensable to you as a writer? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I'm a strong believer of having an iPhone and it's something as simple as I have the notes app and I go on there and I put all my ideas, I jot down on that. Um, and then in my voice memos and, uh, that way I can just hop right back on it. Usually I always have my cell phone around me and, and some, you know, arms length away. Um, so that's a huge thing for me as well. I also have, you know, a small home studio set up. You know, nothing super fancy because I, I love being able to go into a recording studio and capture that vibe and that atmosphere setting. Um, but, you know, I just have, you know, a regular old MacBook Pro and uh, a Focusrite interface, and I have all my my stuff, and I can jot down my demo ideas with that. Um, just having a good microphone and my guitar. Um but when it comes to the simple things, uh, just a basic iPhone works great for me. Okay. Now, um, every songwriter has to get to that point where they put the pen down and, and then, you know, move the song from the writing phase into the production phase where they, you know, go into the studio and they give it to the, the musicians and give it to the producer. How do you determine when a song is ready for that next phase? Sure. Yeah, you know, I, I've spent time before really getting into every single note and idea of the song, having it ready before entering the studio, and then I've done it the other way around, where I just go into the studio with a rough idea. Um, I have found um, what works best for me 
is coming up with um, the simple structure of the song, um, as in your intro, verse, chorus, and such, bridge, whatever, and having the progression and the melodic idea for it, and then bringing it into the studio. And I let the people that I work with kind of embellish off of my idea. Uh, so I feel once I have the lyrics, you know, 95% down and I know 100% what key I'm playing the song, what the vibe, the tempo, rhythmic, um, I go into the studio. You know, I don't go usually into the studio knowing, boom, this is, this is what the baseline is going to be for the whole song or, you know, this is what I'm feeling for the drums or the piano parts, unless it's a, you know, a signature hook rip or something like that. Usually I, I let the people I record with have a bit of their own, uh, put their own taste or flavor onto the song. Um, so I don't go in with a 100% in stone, um, you know, I, idea. I usually leave a little bit of room for natural feeling when I head in. Okay. Now, um, when you get into the studio, you know, every artist has their way of capturing their sound, whether they... Um, track it or they do it live from the floor or they did a pandemic style where they slung stems around the internet what was what is your process when you get into that environment that helps you capture the sound you're looking for yeah so for me it's all about having a good atmosphere and surrounding myself with good people when I'm in the studio and, you know, I'd like to go into a place that is, I feel comfortable, like I'm at home, um, you know, there's no high expectations, no pressure. Um, for me, when I went in to record Supply Chain Blues, uh, I went in, into a recording studio right in the middle of the White Mountains in New Hampshire, called Mojo Studio, and uh, it's, a, it's a studio I love working with, I can walk in, I set up my own little space with my guitar set up and I can have what I need there. There's no pressure. Um, I don't feel like I'm beating a clock for dollars. Um, you know, cause as you probably know that recording an album is not. And, uh, but a nice thing I like going up there is that there's no pressure. So I can be myself and feel like I'm not pushed to just hurry up and make an album. I can really make sure that the artistic end of it comes through without having to worry about the financial end while making it. Um, so, you know, having a, having a good atmosphere is important. Okay. Now, um, tell me about uh, who's, who's playing on this. What's the lineup? Um, yeah, so I have uh, Anthony Simino on drums. Uh, Al Francis is on the bass. Nathan Robbins is on all the keys and background uh, vocals on uh, Same Old Blues. Um, that there, yeah, that's a great one. Um, let's see, I, I'm drawing a blank on uh, Tina is on background vocals on that and then just myself. Now, we've been in the digital revolution now for 20, 25 years, and the consumer today has really embraced streaming as a way to consume music. Unfortunately, 
Uh, what has happened is, is that recorded music has lost its status as a product. It's no longer something to purchase anymore. Uh, it's now a service. How has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? Sure. You know, that's a great question. Um, it, it's affected, uh, especially as an artist, uh, quite a bit in, in a positive way. You know, my new album, Supply Chain Blues, the the going into it was that we were just going to release it as digital because nobody was buying CDs. Our past few albums I released, you know, I've seen a decline in CD sales. And so my goal was, hey, you know what? Rather than spend that extra money on printing product no one's going to buy, let's put it into the production and the studio costs of making the album. And then we found out that when we made the album, there was a large demand uh, for music reviewers and some CD stations that still like to receive the physical product. We ended up having to print um, a batch of CDs for just them, basically. Um, not many people purchase the CD physically. I would say probably around 100 people, and everyone just streams it. Right. Um, I, uh, Myself, I'm a huge vinyl collection. I have a, I love having the physical product in my hand, especially there's nothing like a nice vinyl record, I feel. Um, especially when you're the artist and you make it, you have something to physically hold and said, yeah, you know what? We made this. And, and, and you can't do that with a file that, you know, you upload to a distributor that they put it on all the streaming platforms. There's no, there's nothing you can hold in your hand. And I made a joke when we, when I got the final product in my hand at the recording studio, I went and purchased a thumb drive and handed it to the production, um, manager there and he put the whole album on this little thumb drive <laughs> and that that that's the only thing that i physically have other than uh you know some cds that we printed up and and the cost of making them now has gone up because of inflation and everything so the return on them is just you know no one's purchasing cds anymore and it, it's sad um because there's something to say about being able to have that to say sell at shows and even at shows people really don't buy them well, I mean, if you um, think so about I, it, I mean, you you can't go to Best Buy and buy a CD player. You know, they don't they don't count. No. You know, you can't go out and get a car with a new you know a new car with a CD player in it. No. You know, everything no. is you know is streaming Bluetooth. You know, uh, aux cables, whatever the case may be. It sure is. You know, yep. once the hardware is gone, the software is not far behind. You know. You're you're absolutely correct. You know, I have a, a fairly new Mini Cooper, and when I bought it, the the CD, I was like, "Where's the CD player?" And they're like, "Well, that they don't come with those anymore. Like, we can get one to put in there, but it's gonna cost more. They just they don't make them that way anymore." And you know, I looked at him, and I knew, "Hey, he's a musician." And but you know what? I'm like, "Yeah, wow." You know what? I. I have more room in my car now because I'm not carrying around a bunch of CDs. I can say that's the only good th that that's the only good thing about it. But well, other yeah, than especially that, especially if you get I, a Mini Cooper, I mean, there's only so much room you got, you know. Exactly. So yeah, you know, I I, I uh, in one way it's nice because you know it leaves a little bit more uh, say meat on the bone when you have a certain budget to work with recording an album um, of you know making physical product, but. Um, 
you know, streaming's different now because you have to think now when you talk to the music industry that they report things differently for the charts. So if you want to be considered to be on radio charts or um, billboard charts, it's all by physical numbers. And But they do count into streaming numbers as an album sale. And you wouldn't believe it, but the number is, here's a little fun stat, is that 1,500 streams of your album, just one song on the album, it takes 1,500 listens to calculate into one album sale. That is how it's, that's how it's worked. So okay. imagine that, that 1,500 streams of your album only counts as one album sale. And so I don't know who came up with the math on that, but it seems like an awfully high number um, because there's more than there's much less than 1500 songs on my album. <laughs> well, you know, if you really look at streaming and the revenue that we're getting, you know, no matter how you slice this up, it's not a sustainable business model. You know, we can continue to have independent artists go into studios, hire, you know, musicians, engineers, producers, and create works of art and not give them at least the opportunity to, to recoup that investment. We need... Yeah, oh, there's, recouping is well long gone. Recouping is a long gone thing. You know, the, going into the recording studio, just the cost of that alone and coming up with how are you going to pay for that now because... The ways of the having a record label are almost well gone, and um, you know, coming up with um, anywhere from say five to twenty-five thousand dollars to record an album, and then you're just going to pop it on digitally and get paid pennies. I mean, you're absolutely right. The the whole it's it's gone. Really, the industry is just it's it's not the same as it used to be. No, and we need to do something to change that dynamic. Now, I've been watching a lot of the technology that's coming up into the future now, uh, and there is some light at the end of that tunnel. Um, there is a buzzword in the music industry right now. It's called decentralizing the music industry, and they're utilizing the blockchain, uh, the same technology that they wanted to use to decentralize the monetary system in the world using cryptocurrency. Now, we know cryptocurrency went through its big crash and, you know, where it's, it's yeah. in a reset mode right now. But the fact of the matter is the technology that they developed for cryptocurrency is now being utilized in other aspects of, of industry. And one of them is the music industry. Um, there yeah. are streaming platforms that are developed now that are actually out there functioning and working that are based on this blockchain. In other words, no one company controls the blockchain or any of the applications within it. Um, and it's all based on smart contracts. So in other words, once something is, once that contract is embedded into this blockchain, it can't be changed. It's, got, it's there, you know, as a, as a constant. And they're claiming that they can pay artists up to 80% of the incoming revenue back to them. And it's more of a direct relationship between the artist and the fan. Uh, there are sites like audius.co. 
Um, there is Emanate. There is uh, Audio Locks um, that are now out there vying for that position that Spotify now, now ha- has. And if you look at yeah. it, you know, logically, you know, we started with Napster and everyone said, oh, Napster's never going away. Well, it's gone away. The, then we went to yeah. iTunes and everyone said, oh, Apple is huge. They're going to own the, you know, the music industry forever. Well, who has iPods now? Nobody. Yeah. Um, and now, yep. you know, they say the same thing about Spotify, but you can't believe that because it's the reality is the industry is going to constantly change. And we can't sit and continue to do business the way Spotify wants us to do business. It's got to change. No, no. So no, they're they're making all the money. They're right. making all the money and the and they're just basically, you know, taking advantage of all the artists to, you know, basically make their money because without the artists they would have no content. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and a bulk of their content, believe it or not, comes from independent artists. Not the big It sure artists. does. So, you yep. know, that content if it starts to disappear because there are better alternatives then the fans are going to move to where the artists go. And that's yep. what's what's going to happen. And, you know, if Spotify doesn't, you know, see the light, then they're going to be in the dark. They're going to be gone, just like iTunes yeah, I, and, and Napster. Yeah, and I wonder about that because, so, you know, there, there was a time where a lot of big artists, let's take, for instance, Garth Brooks, um, he didn't have his catalog on any streaming platforms for quite some time. And he's not on uh, Spotify, but he started his own called, I believe it was Ghost. And uh, he had his own streaming. Uh, I think the, the numbers just weren't there. And eventually Amazon picked him up and you can listen to him on Amazon. So I really think, you know, it, it's, we can't have so many. You know, the thing is, is that, you know, think of it as you walk down the grocery store aisle and there's, 25 different ketchups that you can buy. Like if you think of each of those as a streaming service, I mean, there's just so many options and you know, yeah, the, the consumer like likes what they like and they're going to buy, say whatever ketchup they want, or in other words, listen to whatever streaming platform that they want. But at the end of the day, I think there needs to be a simple way where people just go to this place and listen to their music. And, and I um, think that eventually is, is what's going to happen. I mean, it happened with Spotify. That's the defunct um, standard yeah. right now. But there will be something yeah. new. Um, and also, there is this other thing that's happening in the industry utilizing the same technology. Uh, and it's one of the sites that I found that are doing this is Royal.io. And what this site okay. allows you to do is to create these NFTs or non-fungible tokens that represent either a portion of your streaming royalties or a portion of your publishing royalties. And um, one of the rap artists, what he did is he took and he created enough of these NFTs to represent one half of the streaming royalties on two songs off of his last release. And he sold wow. them to his fan base and was able to generate almost $600,000 in upfront income. Wow. And now he has like 3,000 fans that have an economic interest 
in making sure that his music is streamed. Now, if you look at what the record companies are doing right now, they're not really concerned with new artists and developing artists. They're buying catalogs. They're buying publishing. And they're hedging their bets that they're going to be out of the business of new music in the future. Um, Yeah. And it's going to be more the artist in control of their music and in their distribution and their revenue streams. So, I mean, and even artists themselves are making the choice to move away from them. Right. So, you know, if you can get your fans to invest in a song, not even you as an artist, but into individual songs and they can buy stock in a song. Yeah. This is game yeah. changing. Oh you know? yeah, that that's yeah. You're, you got my gear spinning here. You're, I think I I know what I'll be looking up after this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, this is you know what it's all about. I mean, we as artists need to start um, getting this conversation going. Where can we go from here? We can't change yeah. what what is now. We are stuck with streaming. The consumer loves this delivery platform for music, and it's not going to change. But how can we change the way these companies do business is to take it out of their hands. Um, I read an article in Billboard where of all the billions of dollars that are being generated by the music industry, only 12% gets back to the artist. Yeah, which is a small fraction. It's a small (laughs) fraction. But it's because the industry is so glutted with middlemen. So if we eliminate the middlemen, eliminate all of these people who are making the bulk of the money in the industry, then that money can come back to the artist and it becomes profitable again. So that's really what we need to have these conversations about. How can we affect this change? Not so much yeah. the change to the consumer, but the change to the artist. Yeah, you know, and you're absolutely right. You know, there, there was a period of time in the music industry, and it's still there, where there's just so many middlemen. And obviously, if you're doing something where there's a lot of money involved and on the table, you're going to get a lot of people who want a piece of it. Right. And I think you need. we really need to start eliminating that where... Um, you know, the artist is the one doing the work and making the product and creating the product. And uh, they're the ones basically at the bottom of the list, you know, picking up the crumbs, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Now, one of the things that i kind of been watching as well is when the pandemic hit, all these artists went on to the internet to stay connected to their fan base and they started to create content whether it was live streaming or music videos or uh, just yeah. showing their fans their hobbies and their interests and their um, their front porches or their chickens or their pets or their whatever it may be. And if you think about it logically, over the last 30 years, the consumer that's out there or the fan base that's out there has been really hit over the head with these reality shows on a constant basis. So they're very acclimated to that kind of content. So they're really Mm -hmm. responding to it. 
and the, the, yeah. the artists that I'm seeing that are garnering the most amount of success are the ones that are almost creating their own reality shows online. We have a free oh, totally. broadcast network that's at our disposal. We have phones that are literally video production studios in our hands. So the mm-hmm. tools are here. It's just a matter of creating engaging com- content and, and, and getting it to our fan base. Um, what are some of the things that you're doing to kind of advance your brand and, and get your content to your fan base? Yeah, sure. So it's funny you say that, like during a lot of artists during COVID and all of that, we're doing things. And my basic instinct when I thought the world was about to end, to end is I went out to a music store and I purchased stuff in case I was going to be locked in my home so I could create. So I went and bought, you know, some basic recording stuff. And uh, what I did during all of COVID is just recorded and created content. And uh, Ruth Clapton, Eric Clapton's daughter, is a good friend of mine. And we talked and we said we should record something. And she lives over in England, in Yorkshire. And uh, we recorded uh, some stuff together over the Internet and put that out there. And we would post... uh, our stuff on Instagram, hoping that people would see and listen. And we would record videos, talking, chatting, and things like that. I do my own thing. Obviously, she does hers, but we recorded some music together and uh, put that out there because, you know, what else were you going to do? But I think because of the pandemic and artists doing that, it's opened up a whole new world where people have seen that there's this right at their fingertips. So me... Right now and, you know, today, um, you know, I use Instagram and I create content. I don't, I try to stay kind of personal. I try not to put my regular life out there so much, you know, as a reality show, so to say, on social media. Um, But I do like to post, like, some funny things here and there that are not music-related. Just like the other day, I uh, posted a video of me in my kitchen doing a dance from that Wednesday show. Um, that's on Netflix. You know, everyone loves that show and that dance, and she did that. And I was just listening to it because, you know, that was an old-school kind of tune that she was dancing to, and I pulled it up on Spotify and listened to it, and I was like, oh, wow, you know, I could do this. So I posted a video of me doing that dance and popped it up. Heck, that thing received more views than some of my regular music content that I do. Right. You know, like a week before that, I was playing with Los Lobos, posted pictures and video. And it didn't even get half as many video, uh, you know, views or likes as me doing that silly little dance in my kitchen for 15 seconds. So, you know, I, I, I don't even know. Like, it's everything is so, you know, things change by the second. You know, we're talking about this right now. We could get off the phone and who knows what's changed. You know, every, everything changes so quickly these days. And, you know, the music industry is trying to catch up, so to say. And, uh, you know, we went from records to, you know, eight tracks to cassette tapes to CDs and streaming. But you know what? The one thing that's the constant in all those is that there's been a musical artist and that there has been music. And the only thing that has changed is what that music is put onto, where, where you're listening to it or what, what, 
what device you're listening to it. The music has always been there. The artist has always been there. Um, you know, there's only so a select few artists that actually get the pay that they deserve. And, you know, I think someday that that's going to change. And I think that's going to be very soon. Um, but like I said, you know, there's been one constant, there's always been music. There's always been musical artists. The only thing that changes is the platform, how you listen, listen into it. So let's hope, you know, someday that, you know, things change and the artist gets paid accordingly. And, um, you know, these streaming for fractions of a penny, um, you know, change. I agree. Well, you know, it's been a real pleasure uh, speaking with you. Um, and uh, we're going to give everyone out there a double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. Turn it up loud. Screw those neighbors. We're going to have some fun tonight. Don't 
artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you.
For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Shout now, honey. Gonna make. 